The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the one and only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Once again, happy National Blueberry Month. We are excited to celebrate this month with you, and we put together some special resources that I'll detail at the end of this episode. And we really do have a great episode for you today. Hopefully, you've already listened to last week's episode with Soren Bjorn. Today's show is a continuation of those insights. Today, we talk about big changes to the blueberry industry, like differentiation and branded blueberries, rethinking packaging, adjusting to online consumers, and the potential for blueberries to overtake strawberries in terms of sales. This is another jam-packed episode, and based on the positive feedback from last week, I think you're going to get a ton of value out of this one. But before we dive into things with Soren, it's time for a crop report. There's a lot to report this time of year as harvest continues to make its way north, and this segment has been a highlight of the podcast to keep growers and everyone in the industry informed. So here it is, your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time now for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets around North America. Today you'll hear from Jose Luis Bustamante in Mexico, followed by Doug Kramer in Oregon, and Jason Smith in British Columbia. This report was recorded on July 8th, 2020. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Jose Luis Bustamante. I'm from Aneberris from Mexico. Aneberris is a berry shippers association for all over Mexico. So basically what's going on in, in Mexico is the, the rainy season is very established in the center of Mexico, in the Jalisco, Michoacán, and Guanajuato states, where most of the blueberries are being grown. Most of those blueberries are being grown in pots. So right now... And under hoops. So everybody is, is pruning in central Mexico. And a curious situation right now is like a green pruning in some of these uh, pots. The ones that we planted in February and March, they need to go there and pruning and tipping just to promote lateral growth and have better and delay flowering. So you, we don't have any crop until December, January. In the Northwest, which is the Baja, the area, a couple of hundred kilometers south of the border. Over there, they have a heat wave and continued heat wave. So basically, they are done for the season. This is going to be the last shipping fruit from Mexico to the season. In terms of numbers, we have 94 million pounds year to date, and that will not go up not that much. And that an, represents an increase from last season to around 25, 26%. This is Doug Kramer from Oregon. We're on the week following the 4th of July, which typically is a very slow week marketing wise, but this week on the marketing end, things seem to be moving much better than other years. On the harvesting side, we're still handpicking our early varieties, which mainly is Duke. But I think by the end of the week, most people are going to be finished with the hand harvest of Duke. 
and moving into more of our mid-season varieties. Draper is one of the big ones as far as mid-season at this point in time. So we're still experiencing cooler weather than normal as opposed to our friends both north and south. We're still having dry weather. It's just cooler than normal. And so it allows those growers that may not have an adequate supply of hand labor to get more of that fruit harvested before it gets too ripe. And so at this point in time, I think any grower that is shipping fresh is able to keep up. I know like ourselves, we're allowing our what's left on the early season varieties to ripen up and we'll machine pick that off for the processed market. So that's where we are at this point in time. Jason Smith uh, from Abbas for British Columbia. We've been experiencing very cool, wet weather. The fields are quite wet considering the time of year. The harvest is just kind of getting going. A few people in the Eastern Valley started picking uh, later last week. And as we move kind of west into the middle of the valley, guys are just thinking about getting going on the hand harvest side of things. I think for the machine harvest, uh, we're, we're still quite a ways away, I would say at least 10 days until we really get going on that. But uh, the biggest issue is, has been the weather. Duke is the most widely planted variety here in British Columbia, and, and we're probably really going to start getting into it closer between the 15th and, and the 20th and then uh, increasing into August. So Jason, this is Doug. So I was mentioning the soft fruit of what we're experiencing. Do you think you guys are gonna experience some of that same issue up there? Uh, possibly. Duke is a great quality berry and, and that's a lot of what our early harvested fruit is, that variety. So. You know, if it's Mother Nature starts to dry up and the weather actually warms up and we don't get too much more rain, hopefully we'll be able to maintain that quality. Well, just have the weather forecasters tell you it's going to be dry, then you know it's going to, you'll have good weather, right? Oh, yeah, because they're, they're 100% accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I so appreciate the extra time and effort of these growers around North America to provide this window of insight into what's happening in real time around the industry blueberry growing regions. For those of you who haven't listened to episode three, I'll give you a quick reintroduction to our guest here today, Soren Bjorn, who is the president of Driscoll's of the Americas. As most of you know, Driscoll's is a worldwide leader in the production of not only blueberries, but also strawberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Driscoll's produces and distributes about one third of the berries sold in the United States. Prior to being promoted to president in 2017, Soren successfully led several key business units. He served as the company's first senior vice president of international business and was responsible for oversight of Driscoll's European, Middle Eastern, and African businesses. As well, Soren has led Driscoll's global research and breeding programs, which focuses on developing proprietary seedlings in order to deliver consistently great tasting berries to consumers around the globe. I'm going to drop you right back into the conversation here where I asked Soren about how he views the performance of blueberries relative to all other berries. 
one of the, the heartburns for a lot of our growers right now. And global pandemic aside, but certainly a contributing factor to what we're seeing in the retail marketplace has been, you know, the retail pricing versus grower pricing, you know, the grower FOB or Farmgate pricing that they're getting for their product. Therein lies another interesting challenge is, you know, trying to understand those dynamics. And when we continue to produce reports that show, you know, what's happening at retail, it's very different than what's happening at the grower level. So talk about that in your mind, you know, what, what are we facing there in terms of a, of a relationship? Yeah, I actually think Bluebirds has quite a good opportunity because it is very likely that within the next 10 years that the biggest berry in the berry category is going to be blueberries in terms of total annual sales at the rate at which blueberries are being planted at the rate at which the category is growing our projections will say that blueberries surpass strawberries in seven years if you then think about that strawberries is the biggest category in the whole produce department in terms of value not in terms of weight but in terms of value and how strawberries are being used as being a traffic driver so you have a lot more retailers that are willing to invest their margin to drive traffic in their stores with strawberries. And I think blueberries has that opportunity because blueberries are becoming that important. So when you have the retailers that are willing to invest their margin to drive traffic, you actually will see quite a favorable relationship between you know, what is the cost structure and what is the FOB price and what is the retail price. Where I think unlike what you've seen, where it's been it's a little bit more of a niche item and very seasonal that what sometimes happens is that the opposite happens is the retailers see an opportunity the fob price comes down the retailers see an opportunity to grab a little bit of margin and rather than using it so i think that's possible that but there's a couple of requirements okay which that you're probably going to ask me about what's going to be needed yeah well you go on i mean i think that was my next uh challenge to you is you know Blueberries have maintained a higher value over the same period that, you know, strawberries has grown as well. And, you know, I think the risk we run isn't, isn't just the dynamic of, of being challenged by these other markets that are trying to level set the access over a course of a year, but it's also maintaining that high price at retail so that if there is going to be that shared value or shared margin between growers and, uh, and retailers, that that value still remains high in relative terms to strawberries. Talk to me a little bit about your sense of how we do that. Yeah, I think one of the things that the strawberry industry has done quite well is to get itself organized to really making sure that there's good visibility to the supply that's coming. And I know parts of the blueberry industry does that really well. Chile does a phenomenal job of this, right? So the last thing you need is a surprises. And, you know, I still run into growers that think, well, if I can just hang on to my information, I can outsmart the whole market, right? You know, and somehow corner the market of blueberries is really not a rational way to do it. What you're much better off doing is obviously privately or you know, confidentially share your information. Everybody in the whole supply chain shares their information into the USHBC and you aggregate the information and say, this is how much supply we have, this is how much there's like to be next week, the week after. So you can actually have the market being organized because what you want is when there's a lot of food available, you want all the retailers behind the category you don't want half of them to be sitting on the sideline going like, ah, oh, you know, I hadn't thought about blueberries for this week. Okay, I'm going to wait. You know, you need them to move the volume. And likewise, okay, when the market's going to be short, we need to take advantage of the short markets to get the higher returns to the growers. And that's, that's fundamentally how the fresh produce industry works. Okay, but it is a lot more likely to be efficient if there's good information available. 
And that requires everybody, including people that compete against each other, I mean, regions compete, to be willing to throw all the information in. You know, not obviously everything is public, okay, but, but it's there in the aggregate. And that's a big job in blueberries because you've got a lot more production regions. It's a bit easier in California strawberries, you know, like right now. I mean, those are the only strawberries available, California strawberries. So we just got to organize the people in California. Well, and as you know, that same system or approach is also shared by California blueberries, which is the BIMRIC program. And to the extent that I think, you know, this leads to the next question I would have for you, which is just what could we be doing? And I think you started to head down that road of enhancing not only the volume of blueberries sold, but to help develop our industry. You said organize, but talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you see that role for USHBC and, and moving forward. Well, I think the USHBC can be that aggregator of the volume information, for example, and, and send out the official forecast. Okay, you know, you know that, that's an example. I think the other thing that the USHBC can do is to be a much more neutral voice in what are really good blueberries and what, what is not so good, right? So we all love our own children, right? So all your members love their blueberries, right? But they're not all created equal. And... Um, and it is a weakness of the whole system, okay, that you have weak systems out there, right? Because the consumers that get to experience something that's less than good uh, is a consumer that's likely to get turned off. And we cannot forget how valuable it is to have gotten all these consumers into this category. But their expectations have been going up and up and up and up as the product in general has improved. But the reality is that now there are quite large production regions, particularly in North America, and that is a little bit unique to North America, but are quite large production regions where the product really hasn't improved materially in a long time. And some of those regions may used to have been the best regions, the best blueberries, but they're no longer the best. Some of them are actually the worst. And it's so easy to hope that the past comes back, but the reality is the past is not going to come back, right? I mean, what you're only going to have is you're going to have the future, okay? And you need to go and create the, the kind of future for you where you can win. And again, I think genetics becomes critical, but, but it's not just genetics. I mean, I think you see, I'm really impressed with some of the things that people are doing, for example, in the Pacific Northwest, and including some of our competitors, you know, really investing in the production technology that some of them had learned from like, let's say cherries, there's an even higher value crop, okay, and, and quite vulnerable crop and taking some of those technologies and applying them to blueberries to make sure they can really deliver the kind of quality. And this is going to be a quality game. And the ones that uh, can't or won't participate in that are going to have to get, get used to really, really low prices. Well, and, and let's put a fine point on how you are pushing the envelope in this, Soren. Their schools in particular has come out, not with a variety mentioned per se, but the sweetest batch is pushing the envelope in this conversation on genetics, but also profiling flavor to consumers, which this isn't just round and blue anymore. You're really trying to bring consumers into a story about blueberries that even in my experience, I had no idea that there were so many varieties, let alone what my options were. And without being aware of anyone else that's done anything quite like bringing a branded blueberry forward, Talk to me about this decision on your part, because it's strategic in nature, but it heads down a road. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the benefits of having the proprietary breeding programs is that what you sometimes get through the random course of breeding 
is you get these outliers that are really just so much better than anything that you can imagine. And this happens in all the berries. And the, the trick is, can you find a way to commercialize this? In this particular case, in the blueberries, in the Swedish Blatt's blueberries, is, you know, we had quite a large, crunchy blueberry that tastes just phenomenal. As is often, often the case when you get something that tastes that good, it doesn't quite have the yield, so the productivity that would make it viable for the commercial everyday, you know, sale of blueberries. And so we just felt like that there had to be something there. And when we put it in front of consumers, consumers were a little bit like you are, okay, you just, they were blown away at how good this was. And so we really convinced our growers to plant quite a bit of this and, and with the commitment that we would go out and try to market it as a separate product. We are not created a whole category. So this is actually now that we have a, a super premium category that includes the other three berries as well. So there's this year we introduced a blackberry in that program. There's a red strawberry and a pink strawberry in that program. And there's a now a brand new raspberry that just came out in April. And there's also a pink raspberry in the same. So we created this super premium category and the price premium over the regular FOB is, is, is quite high. I mean, surprisingly high. It's, it was higher than, it's actually higher than what we set it, set the goal to be. And I can tell you, they'll be sold every berry. And there's a lesson in that, you know, you're not hiding the ball anymore, but as you look at that experience and you're sharing it here and it's obvious in the marketplace, people can see it and taste it and experience it. How do you see that forward in the evolution of one company's innovation to what you may be concerned with happen, happening next, not just in the competitive sense for your brand premium, but do you have any concerns and reservations about this approach? Well, I don't, no, I don't have any concerns about it. Okay. I think that's uh, when you have a category that's gotten us to be as large as blueberries, product segmentation is very natural. It's, it's, it's sort of, it's not marketing 101, okay, but it's probably in the 201 or 301 class, okay. That's what naturally happens, right? Is that there's opportunity. And we already have that conventional and organic, right? And now you have it with this premium segment. And agri and blueberries, we even have it you know, with what goes to processing, right? And you could say, well, maybe there's a value line out there that hasn't proven out historically in, in berries to be very successful. Okay, it's been tried before and in particular in other markets during difficult economic times. Consumers just uh, have something about berries that they're not willing to trade down to make them cheap but they are willing to trade up significantly. And I would say we were inspired by a lot of things that were happening in the tomato category around us, right? You know, you had tomatoes selling at 55 cents a pound. And then next thing, here comes these greenhouse people, okay, with brand new genetics, in that case, developed by, you know, global genetic companies. And they're charging, you know, not 30, 40% more, but they're charging five, 600% more, okay? And they're selling it. And so, it, Consumers are willing to pay for really, really, really good produce, but it has to deliver. That's the hard part. The hard part is to get it deliver to deliver because the, uh, I think this other tendency would be is, oh, we've got these really good prices. Can we get a little bit more in this category, right? That's, you got to be really disciplined about that. And I think that's probably, you know, with our history and our brand and, you know, what we sort of stand for, that may have been a little bit easier for us, but I have definitely seen it getting ruined including, you know, I would say we, we, we have ruined it ourselves in, in the strawberry category once or twice when we tried it. Yeah. And I don't know if I hear you encouraging others to head down this road, but I do wonder 
as people become more familiar with how a blueberry eats and you know the experience they're having, how this will evolve our industry. And you can see those other industries that have gone before us. I think of apples, right? I think of you know where those premium variety types take over and it has consequence across the category. And so consumers are now expecting only the best. And to your point, they may be paying for it, but it has a downline relationship to the experience that you know, the previous Apple varieties were otherwise enjoying. So I find this part of this business fascinating because, you know, blueberries like wine grapes coming from different regions, regionality, genetics, types, all playing a factor in the future of blueberries. And, you know, you guys are kind of sitting in the one spot that has brought one product forward. And thinking through this has been something I I wonder how far this goes. And you can't put it back in the bottle. It's out there now. Well, I think you got to see more of it, okay? And it won't just be us. And I would argue we, we weren't even really first to do this, okay? So maybe we're the most recognized in doing it. So it gets a little bit more attention. But I think you're going to see more of this. To me, this is one of the really big opportunities in the Northern High Bush is that there's so much of that part of the industry that's so focused on how can we get to the machine harvest and low cost, which is very understandable, okay? And we, we shouldn't abandon those efforts. But there's also a different strategy, which is sort of go, no, go like, I'm going to go the opposite direction. Is I'm not chasing this thing down to the lowest possible cost. I'm chasing this to the highest premium price I can get. And I would definitely encourage us as an industry to look at more of that. And I don't think I'm letting out any secrets, you know, by saying we think that's a big part of the opportunity. But that's going to require hand harvesting and things like that, okay? I mean, they may, may require hand harvesting straight into the clamshells, okay? You know, if you really want to live on the promise. But why do you care if your returns are much higher? You know, you, you shouldn't care, you know? That, I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? So we definitely think the opportunity is there. It's harder in the in the non-high uh, non bush because the trees stay in forever and, you know, it's, it's a slow turnover, right, of the genetics. In the sun, high bush, you know, you can get your money back pretty quick if you got something good. And so then it's easier to turn it over and say, oh, then I'll try the next thing. Okay. But that doesn't mean the opportunity is not there. And for some of those regions that are looking to reinvent themselves, they should seriously think about making this part of their future. Well, and in that way, let's just talk about regions, you know, not just in the case of, you know, where it economically makes the most sense, but, you know, there certainly has been a, let's use the microbrew business, right? A regionality of where beer comes from drives a price premium for the local audience who is appreciative of the locally made, locally grown, American grown. Talk to me about that for blueberries in your mind, as you and I have discussed previously, the role that that may or may not play in a consumer's interest in that brand premium, regionality, you know, where the market is today with that kind of segment of interest, like organic growing in many categories, but how does that look for blueberries? Yeah, certainly my opinion is that it's not nearly as important in blueberries, okay? That what we've ended up doing is creating a category that is year-round, really, really good tasting, okay? And that's what matters. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't a couple of regions with a long history in blueberries where this isn't important. But I don't think you can take the history of growing blueberries in Michigan and then think because we're growing blueberries in California, that in California, we can now all of a sudden expect to market California blueberries. California consumers don't even know that there are blueberries in California. 
obviously they know that in Michigan, okay, because they, they've grown up with it, okay, and it's there and so forth, okay, and in a couple of other regions, okay, but mostly in the northeastern United States, I would argue. And so I think it's sort of fool's errand to try to chase down that strategy. It's actually really, really important that if you want to have a successful Blueberry business of any real size, that you try to compete in this global phenomenon and that you're competitive in that. There's always an opportunity to carve out a niche, okay, you know, somewhere. But that's, I mean, that's not interesting to us. That doesn't mean that we won't have some local stickers and stuff like that, okay, and then do none of it, okay. But I don't think this is not a driver of the business. It may be what it takes to get a certain account in a certain area, okay, is that you're willing to do that because they just feel like they need to support their local growers. But I don't think it's a driver of the category. And uh, in the end, that's, that's your job, okay, right? Is <laughs> to help us drive the category and making sure that that's viable, okay? And so I don't think the USHBC sort of has a particular role in that. If any individual shipper or grower wants to do that, right, good for them. But how do you look at the, the sort of big picture? Okay, that's actually way more important. And I think, I frankly think that USHBC has done a really good job of that, okay? I mean, I remember back in the day when I think the annual budget was like $300,000 or something like that. And the committee got really clear about, okay, let's just focus on the research around health of blueberries, right? And pretty much all the money went there. But guess what? Today, blueberries own that in, of all the berries. They, their perceived is way more healthy than blackberries, which is, which are frankly, every bit as healthy as blueberries, okay? But blackberries can't own the space that blueberry already owns. And so, so I think we have done a good job even back in the days when we had limited dollars. Okay, now we have more dollars. And we need to keep, keep putting them to good use. Absolutely. Well, and let's talk about that good use because as we move forward here, you know, we've seen consumer shopping behaviors change during this global pandemic. I know you've talked a lot about this. You've done quite a few interviews and you've gone and gone on record as to what Driscoll's experience has been on many fronts, not just in, you know, the, the ability to get it through the supply chain, but just what you've experienced as a company with the product and market. And just that just crazy experience of buying behavior. So how has Driscoll's adjusted their marketing and promotional efforts, you know, as that behavior changed during this period? Well, we, I mean, we clearly had funds that got freed up from things we just couldn't do. So we, for example, had this really big program planned for the University of Massachusetts, Massachusetts feeding program, putting quite a bit of money behind it. And then all the kids went home. So that money got freed up, okay? And we said, well, rather than take that money and put it in our pocket, well, let's make sure we take the funds and drive it towards where the consumer is going. And I think one of the, the things that'll be permanent coming out of this pandemic will be online shopping for produce. So that really didn't have much traction pre-COVID, but now it does, right? I mean, partly because we got forced to go that direction as consumers. And consumers are learning. Once you got your account set up and all that stuff, okay, you know, but now it's easy, okay? It's the hard part was actually the, the first step, okay? But we, now we had all this time, so we, we took the first step and the second step, and now we found out it's actually really easy. And Instacart delivery may start on the surface looks a little bit expensive, but when you start factoring in the cost of your own time, and if you, like me, are running kids to here and there and everywhere, you go like, that's really cheap, okay? You know, my, my time is worth way more than that. And so I think that's with us to stay. And so we put a lot of money to work there, and um, the good news is you can get your story out there for a lot less than you can in sort of more traditional ways of promoting your product. So that's clearly what we have done. And, um, you know. Well, and I think that shared relationship of experience is one that, you know, we've been 
modeling, if not kind of experiencing it in real time with you on where we go in the future of that promotion activity to try to get blueberries on the shopping list and in the cart. And I know that was actually my first opportunity to taste the sweetest batch was obviously my wife had picked it on Instacart and it showed up at the house. And it's fascinating, right? That, you know, even how the influence of where you might be taking packaging, because, you know, the clamshell in and of itself was designed to be a consumer look through purchase. And yet, you know, if you're buying it online, a photo is selling the product and the next thing you know, it's showing up in your house, somebody else has picked it out for you. So talk to me a little bit about that from your perspective that almost, you know, where do we go from here now that we know this is shifting so quickly perspective? Yeah. I mean, it's, is unlocking things that we have really struggled with trying to solve in our business. Okay. So your packaging example is a very good one, right? Is that we have clear PET clamshells in all the berries so consumers can see the berries, right? We all do the same thing. You know, I do that when I buy Driscoll's berries in the store is I pick up the clamshell and I don't want the moldy one either. Okay. Even if it's from my company, but online, you don't get to do that. And the, the Amazon robot isn't looking for you either, right? It's just taking the taking the package key and putting it in your thing. And so the ability, for example, to get out of plastic goes way up really, really, really quick, right? And I think that's that's part of our Achilles heel today, you know, I would say as an industry, I mean, the whole berry industry is we are, we are just addicts to plastic, okay? And consumers do not want it. And that's a global phenomenon. I mean, American consumers are a little bit less picky about it, but in the global environment, whew, yeah, we see that in our European business. Okay, well, we're really trying to get out of plastic. And, but we would love to be out of plastic in, in the Americas as well. And I think online will help get there for sure. Well, and I guess I just put a fine point on the commitment that our industry made prior to COVID-19 on moving our industry to a kind of a plastics-free container or, or a benchmarking of when we could get there. But man, when you think about what this has done in terms of the robots picking the fruit and that those particular clamshells of a different type in the future wouldn't need to be, and it just accelerates. It just, you know, we couldn't imagine it before March, but now past March, there's certainly a huge opportunity to move that initiative further, faster. Yeah. And we have in, uh, in our strawberry category, we introduced actually in April this year, our first plastic-free container. and it. You know, we directed it towards the really large strawberries and it's been really successful. You know, kind of like the Swedish Batch Blueberries, it sold out completely and it, we did sell it for more. And so that's part of our future. Okay, we, we have to solve for problems. In this case, we are creating ourselves. We can't just sort of stick our head in the sand and, and hope it goes away. Soren, I've really appreciated all of this discussion with you today and having sat in your office, you know, not long after I got started in this position. When I sat down with you, you had clamshell after clamshell opened across the desk and we were sampling and tasting and you were explaining to me all the nuances of of what was in front of us. And I just so appreciate, you know, that attention to detail by you because, you know, it's not lost on you on on the value of flavor and taste and the innovation that goes into growing our business, the business of blueberries. So thank you very much. Thank you. At this point in the podcast, we'd like to direct you to resources that can help you grow your business. If you haven't heard, July is National Blueberry Month. Our team at USHBC is rolling out a National Blueberry Month toolkit, complete with 10 mouthwatering summer recipes 
five ready-to-go social media posts, one for each week of the Blueberry Month. Plus, a brand new National Blueberry Month seal that you can share with retailers and use on your websites and in your own marketing materials. We're also providing our Blueberry Health Infographic and Health Research Background are perfect for registered dietitians and health professionals. We hope to see all of you participating and sharing and spreading the positive message of blueberries during the month of July. You can find the National Blueberry Month Toolkit on our website at ushbc.org resources. Well, I always find my conversations with Soren to be insightful. Some of my key takeaways today just in this discussion are certainly the consideration that blueberries will eventually overtake strawberries in value uh, over the next 10 years. I also continue to find what Driscoll's is doing, and, and I think we heard him talk about the branded blueberry and how varieties will continue to shape how blueberries are marketed over time and going forward. With those new varieties, it's important because, you know, I think we know that there are consumers with different tastes uh, looking for different experiences, even within blueberries, and that it's going to be important that these new varieties help ensure that every consumer has a positive experience with blueberries. And finally, I know that we've been working together collaboratively as an industry, certainly with Driscoll's on packaging and the interest that the industry has of moving away from the single-use plastic. So it's been a, a great conversation, always is with Soren, always interested to hear his insights and based on his experience in this business, certainly uh, the position that he's been in to see how the industry has grown and, and, and most importantly, where it can still go. So it's conversations like these that really set the tone for what you can expect in future episodes. Did you find this episode valuable and insightful? If so, please text or email the link to someone else you know in the blueberry industry. We're just getting started with this, so spreading the word is very much appreciated. Again, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. <laughs>